Good morning, church, and happy Easter. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, my name is Lawson. I'm one of the pastors here if we haven't gotten a chance to meet. Uh, and, and I think the great thing about Easter, uh, it, it, you know, is, is a preacher. Uh, I love, I mean, it's obviously like a great day to preach. Uh, but, but also it's great because the, uh, the topic is sort of selected for you, right? You, you can preach on the resurrection. That's what you preach on, on Easter. And uh, you just have to decide how you're going to uh, attack that, how you want to approach it. And so this morning, uh, I want to just start with a question and ask this question that will shape our time together. And, and it's this. Is the resurrection of Jesus relevant in the 21st century? Is the resurrection of Jesus relevant in the 21st century? Does this historical event truly matter to you in Houston in 2023? Uh, in our text today, Paul is in Athens. Uh, Paul is a, uh, he, he was a, a Pharisee, a, a really staunch and, and, uh, and devout Jew who uh, actually opposed Christianity. He was a, a great opponent of Christianity when it, first, uh, when it first started growing after Jesus's life and ministry and death and resurrection. He, uh, the Christianity started growing and he was opposing it. He was persecuting Christians. He was throwing them in prison um, until he one day, and you can read about this in another, another part of Acts, he met Jesus himself. Jesus showed up to him on the road to Damascus and changed his life forever. And he became uh, the greatest Christian missionary uh, that the world has ever seen. And so he's on one of his uh, journeys, one of his missionary journeys. He's gotten kicked out of a couple places uh, because uh, of, like, people come in violence and try to kill him. And so he has to flee. Uh, and, and he's brought to Athens and he's there in Athens and he's waiting for some of his friends. And in, in, uh, in, chapter, in verse 16 of, of Acts 17, it says that while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he, he was deeply distressed, right? He was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. And so if you've read about, uh, if you've read anything uh, about Greek mythology, you know about the idols of, of Athens, the gods of Athens, uh, Zeus, uh, Hades, Apollo, Aphrodite, right? You, you know these uh, you, you, you probably are familiar with these, um, these, these gods, these ancient gods. And so there would have been shrines and temples and altars all over the place to these gods. And, and this makes Paul, it, it deeply distresses him, right? And so what, what does he do? Well, he does what all of us do when we're passionate about something. He starts talking, right? And he goes to the marketplaces, he goes to the synagogues, and he starts to talk with people. He's talking to the Epicurean philosophers. He's talking to the Stoic philosophers. Uh, he, he's, he's reasoning with the Jews, and he's, he's talking about Jesus and the Messiah. Um, and if you notice in verse, uh, verse uh, 18, um, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. And some said, uh, what is this ignorant show off trying to say? All right, and maybe, maybe you think that about preachers. And we deserve it sometimes. Okay, so that's fine. <laughs> what's, this, what's this babbler talking about? Others, though, replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. We haven't heard of this. It seems like a, uh, you know, he's preaching foreign gods because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. But they, they decide, in verse 19, they took him and bring him to the Areopagus and say, may we learn from you about this new teaching. So he, they're like, hey, come to this, this, this place where we do our, our where the court of Athens gathered there. This probably wasn't a formal meeting of the court, but was an informal, uh, large place where you could gather and hear. And they say, okay, give us, give us your talk. We want to hear uh, what, you, what you are teaching uh, this about Jesus and the resurrection. And Paul clearly thinks uh, he clearly thought that this message, that the resurrection of Jesus was relevant in the first century. Right? He clearly thinks that. 
Um, uh, but so, but let's, let's follow his message. Let's follow his sermon. Uh, and and we'll, we're going to see and, and ask, is this still relevant for us? Is the resurrection of Jesus relevant to us in the 21st century? Uh, we'll see three things, three, three sections of Paul's sermon. Uh, the first is a connection. The second, a distinction. And the third, a call to action. Let's pray and we'll, we'll dive into these things. I want to give you a moment just in, in your seat uh, to, to pray yourself. Uh, if you haven't prayed before, maybe you haven't prayed in a long time, uh, you don't know how to pray, it's, it's, uh, it's very simple. You can just talk to God um, and, and God, he actually can hear your thoughts. So you don't even have to say it out loud. You can just say it in your mind. Uh, God, would you help me to understand what you want to say to me this morning? Would you pray also for me uh, that I would be faithful to God's word and I would be helpful to you? Thank you, Father. We need you. You know we need you here. You know that uh, we have so many barriers in our hearts. We have so many barriers in our minds. We have so many things that we're distracted by. Uh, we, we have so many ways that we're, we're just honestly closed off and we're hardened to you. Um, Lord, and I can't, I don't know what those are. I can't break through them. Um, I can't even break through and change my own heart. So we ask that you would come, that you would speak to us. Lord, why are we here? No one wants to hear my thoughts. No one wants to hear my words. Lord, we want to hear from you. So would you please speak through your word by your Holy Spirit and we would be open uh, to hearing what you have to say. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. First, a connection, a connection. Uh, Paul starts off in 22. People of Athens, I see you're extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Uh, Paul begins by, by just making this connection with them, right? He's been accused of preaching foreign divinities, which uh, incidentally was what Socrates was accused of and then made to drink the hemlock and, and die. Uh, and so this wasn't a, a kind of a, a you know, frivolous charge. Um, and so he, he, he wants to make this connection. He says, you got lots of gods. You have lots of altars. I saw tons of altars as I walked through your great city. And I noticed there was one that says to an unknown God. I'm gonna tell you about that one. That's the one I'm gonna tell you about. Now, is, is Paul saying they were worshiping God, they just didn't know it? No, I don't think so. I think he's just making a connection with them. He's just saying, I'm gonna, what, I'm gonna proclaim this to you. This, this God that you, you, you admit, you don't know about this God? Okay, I'm gonna proclaim that to you. How, how would Paul make a connection? What would Paul say uh, to the people of Houston if he was here today? I think he might say something like this. People of Houston, I see that you're extremely religious in every respect. As I was passing through observing your objects of worship, a few stuck out to me. I saw a bunch of gyms, CrossFit boxes, 24-hour fitness, YMCA, Lifetime, Orange Theory, right? All, all, all these things. I saw Pilates and yoga and Camp Gladiator classes. Uh, I, I saw therapists and doctors and counselors galore all over the city. I saw huge uh, towers to the sky, in the med center where your experts live and where uh, people from all over the world make pilgrimage to your great city to get medical care. You care much 
seems about lifespan, about health and fitness and emotional health. It seems that you're looking for a length and a quality of life and you're, and you're willing to sacrifice much to find it. As I drove your miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of highways in Houston, I saw the places where you buy your cars, acres and acres of shiny new vehicles. I saw your huge houses. I saw your nicely manicured lawns. I saw how much you work that you, I saw you check email 24 seven. You're always on your email. Uh, it seems that you, you are willing to, to give an extraordinary amount of time and effort pursuing money in order to buy the things that will give you a fulfilling and a satisfying life. Houston, I saw as I went around your city that you get very emotional and passionate about whatever political issue is current in the news cycle. Right, I saw that the time you spend on the news and on podcasts and debating people on Facebook and on Twitter Right? And these are things you feel very strongly about because you desperately want justice and peace and hope for the future. Houston, I saw you care very much about being your true self, expressing your true identity. Right? Whether it's by the clothes you wear, whether it's by the way you present yourself online, the way you present yourself to others, the things you buy and use, the people that you, uh, you are in relationships with, whatever it is, you value autonomy over yourself and your choices most of all. Right? You're, you're looking for what? You're looking for freedom. Freedom to, to make your own choices and then to receive acceptance and love. You want acceptance and love from the choices that you make. In summary, you can say, you, you want life and satisfaction and justice and peace and hope and freedom and love. And, and, and in all these, or in whatever you pursue or are passionate about, I think, I think you're, you want meaning, right? You want to live a meaningful life. You want to live a life that matters, a life with purpose. And, and I think Paul could say, what you most deeply want, I proclaim to you. You're chasing after a meaningful life. Let me tell you how to find that. Let me tell you how to get that. What you worship, I proclaim to you. And then Paul makes a distinction. He introduces a very important distinction. Uh, this is in, in 24. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things, right? Uh, it, it, Paul, Paul uh, introduces here uh, an important distinction called the, the, and what theologians call the creator-creation distinction. The creator-creation distinction. The Athenians thought that there were many gods in the universe, right? And most of these, these gods were sort of like more powerful people. They kind of all, you know, Poseidon ruled over the sea, Zeus over the sky, right? They all kind of had their jurisdiction and they, and they all did evil and good. And, you know, it was kind of like they were just people, but bigger and more powerful. They were all part of the universe. Um, and, and here, Paul, basically, he said, I'm going to proclaim to you this unknown God. And then he just blows up their category. He said, this is the God of heaven and earth, the God who made everything Right? This is the one who rules over all. All those other gods, and they're not gods. Like, this is God. He blows up their categories. 
And, and some now in the West think that there isn't a God, right? Atheistic people, or that some think that maybe there is a God, maybe there's a higher power, but he's, he's far off, he's, he's impersonal, he's not involved in our, in our lives, in our world. But that's not what the Bible says about reality. The, the Bible lays out this creator-creation distinction. God made the world and everything in it. Okay, he, he's not the world. He's not the world of the universe. He's separate from it. He's distinct from it. He, he is self-existent. Right? He's the only person that doesn't need anything else to exist. Everything is dependent. All of us are dependent on oxygen and air and water, like, uh, food. Like, we're dependent on so many forces and things that we can't control right now. He's the only one that doesn't need anything to exist. He exists in himself. Right? He is original. The universe is derivative. He's self-existent. The universe is dependent. He isn't, he isn't part of the creation. He stands over it and above it and before it and behind it. And in opposition to pantheism, which says that, that uh, the, the world and, and, and everything is God, right? There's only kind of one uh, reality and, and we are God and the trees are God and cows are God, right? Uh, all this stuff. The Bible says, no, 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 uh, there's a distinction. The creator and the creation are different. They're distinct. Uh, in opposition to, to atheistic materialism, which holds that there's no ultimate cause outside of the universe. All things can be explained by natural causes. Basically, there's just, there's just the creation, right? There's no creator. The Bible teaches that there, there is a creator. <laughs> he made all this and we're not him, right? He's distinct from us. In opposition to deism, which holds that an impersonal God created and then set in motion uh, the whole universe to run on its own, the Bible says, no, there is a personal God who created and he's distinct from us, but he's still connected. He created us and he holds us together. Right? In him, we live and move and have our being. He's still connected with the world that he created. And this, I know it can sound philosophical, but, but it's a mind-shattering truth. I mean, this is unbelievable. If this is true, what it means. I'm gonna give you two implications that Paul, just point out two implications that Paul uh, points out in his, in his message. Uh, the first is that life is an undeserved gift. All right, this is the end of 25. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He's like, you think you, you need to serve God? You think he lives in the temp little temple? <laughs> you think you need to bring him food? No, no, no. He gives you everything, right? As though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. If there is a creator and he's distinct from his creation, then, then that means there's a beginning to the universe, there's a beginning to the universe. And, and, and if there's a beginning to the universe, uh, then it doesn't exist by, by chance. It's not just random chance. It doesn't exist by necessity. It's like, no, we just, we just always exist. We have to exist. It's just what it, this is just what it is. Uh, if if, if there's, there's a reality that doesn't exist by chance or necessity, but by will and by design, if a personal creator made us, then what that means is all of life is a gift. All of life is a gift. Right, think of in, in your life, think of the most beautiful moments in your life. When you maybe got married, when you, uh, your children were born, when, you, when you've sat around a campfire with good friends, when you've heard a song that's just made you weep, when you've sat in, at the rim of the Grand Canyon and just been awed by beauty. Right, each of those moments was a gift. Didn't have to be. But it was. It wasn't random chance. It wasn't just meaningless nothingness is gonna dissolve. No, no, no. 
It was designed and it was given to you. Even this moment right here, where we sit together, where our brains work, where our eyes work, where you're, you're, it's Easter, you look great, you know? Uh, like this moment where we get to sit here, it's a gift. All of life is a gift. And it makes sense of the, the, when the Bible says give thanks in all circumstances, if this is true, right? If this is true, if, if everything we've been given is just an undeserved gift, shouldn't we just always be saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Life is an undeserved gift. The second, uh, the second implication that Paul brings out of this creator-creation distinction uh, is that we have unparalleled purpose. We have unparalleled purpose. Verse 26, from one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him Though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of our own po- your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Since then we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Uh, th- this gets to, to meaning in life, right? And, and meaning in life, there's really only two options. Uh, to, to, to have meaning in life, either meaning in life is made you have to make it, or it's discovered, it's found. Right? These are the two options. Um, and the, the modern impulse is to say, make your own meaning, right? Make your own meaning, like uh, live your truth, right? Express yourself, uh, uh, you know, manifest your reality. Life is what you make it. Even the most honest secular thinkers say this. They say, yeah, there's no, you know, we come from primordial goo, We're, we end in burning up in, into nothing. Life is meaningless, but there's no objective meaning out there. But, but, you know, pick up woodworking or something and really put yourself into it and you can make some meaning for yourself, right? Make your own meaning. You have to make your own meaning in life. But listen, if this distinction is true, if there's a creator and if we are the creation, then we aren't here by chance or by accident but on purpose. And we have a purpose that we can know. What does it say? He created everyone, determined when and where you live. Verse 27, he did this so that they might seek God. Your purpose is to know the one who made you, to seek him and find him. He's not far. In him we live and move and have our being. Why are you breathing this morning? Are you doing that on your own power? (laughs) No, he's holding you together. In him we live and move and have our being. This is our purpose. The Bible says meaning is discovered. It's not not made. And how, how fragile is that? How fragile is the meaning you have to make yourself? It can all go away in a moment. No, no, we have intrinsic meaning because we were made by a personal God in his image. And it's to find him and to find the life that comes in him. Paul introduces this distinction. And and lastly, he, he ends with a call to action. He ends this message with a call to action and that's in verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone 
by raising him from the dead. Right? What's, the, what's the call to action? God commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent of what? What does it mean? Well, if you want to cut against the grain of our culture, uh, I don't think there's any more inflammatory thing to speak against than uh, human autonomy. Right? Uh, abortion and gun control are both issues about human autonomy, right? How dare you tell me what to do with my body? How dare you tell me what to do with my guns? Right? Whether you're right, left, middle, rich, poor, whoever you are, if you're every Western person assumes an absolute right to human autonomy, to choose what to do with my body, with my time, with my money, with my life. I see this every day when my kids interrupt me and I get upset about it. Because what am I saying? My time is my own. How dare they interrupt me? <laughs> but, but listen, human autonomy is the core of sin. But, which makes sense. If what we've said is true, if, if, if he made you, if God made you and sustains you, if you are dependent fully on him, he gives you everything, life and breath and being and all everything. He sustains all the world for you, right? If he, he gives you everything as a gift and he made you for a purpose, right? Then, then like Eve in the garden who temp was tempted by the devil to judge for herself what is right instead of submitting to God's command not to eat from the tree, any taking matters into your own hands, any judging for yourself what is right rather than submitting to what God says is right is by definition sin. Autonomy, it comes from the, it's a, the Latin, auto to me, uh, nomos, law, autonomy, a law to myself. I make the rules. This is sin. Anything done in independence from him and his word, anything done apart from a humble reliance on him, which the Bible would call faith, is sin. It's rebellion. Listen, and, and haven't we all, like sheep gone astray, turned everyone to, our, to his own way? Well, we've all done this. We've all been autonomous. We've all tried to make our own laws, our own rules, going our own way. And... and Paul says we're accountable for that, which makes sense. He's the creator, we're the creation. We're accountable to him. That's why Paul says he's coming to judge the world in righteousness. He's gonna make everything right. We're accountable to this man. And, and this gets to why Jesus came. And you maybe know, yeah, Jesus, I know Jesus came and died on the cross for us. I know the story, but I never really understood why he would do that or why he needed to do that. Well, he came to atone, to pay for human autonomy. Right? He, he, he came uh, because we have rebelled, because we've said, I'm gonna go my own way. He, ga he gave up his rights. Think of it. Jesus, the creator, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He, he was, everything was made through him. Right? The creator himself gave up his, the, his rights as the autonomous one. And he, came, he became a man. And he was obedient to the point of death and even the shameful death of the cross. Right? He did this in your place and mine for our sin, right? for our rebellion. He paid the 
price. And then he rose from the, from the dead. And he rose from the dead in victory, proving that everything he said was true. And he ascended into heaven and God, it said, the Bible says, has seated him at the highest place. Right? His is the name above every name. And so he's the one, he's the, he's the appointed one, the one who will come at the end and will judge the world in righteousness. He'll make everything right. And the proof of this, if you're like, well, okay, that's a neat story, but how do you, how do you the proof is what it says. Uh, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Do you know anyone who's raised from the dead? <laughs> right? Muhammad's not alive. Buddha's not alive. Joseph Smith's not alive. Right? Peter's talking to the Jews earlier in Acts, and he says, uh, he's, like, he's like, King, you like King David? King David's not alive. His tomb's right over there. It's not him. Right? Jesus is the only one who, is, who got up from death. Right? Not in a metaphorical sense, not in a, uh, you know, uh, it's a nice idea, resurrection. No, no, he, like his body came back on. His lungs filled with air. His blood pumped again through his veins. And he lives to this day. He's the only one who's defeated death. He's the only one worth following for that reason. So I, so I ask again, is the resurrection relevant? Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ relevant in the 21st century? And I think that's like asking, is light relevant in the 21st century? Is oxygen relevant in the 21st century? <laughs> yeah, everything depends on it, right? I mean, that's the answer. It's the, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. Christianity is a wholly unique and different reality, right? One that both challenges our deepest cultural assumptions and our treasured beliefs. You better believe God challenges us. Uh, and at the same time offers unparalleled fulfillment of our deepest heart longings and desires, right? The, the things we talked about earlier, Right, life, satisfaction, justice, peace, hope, freedom, love, meaning. Jesus, he offers all of these things to us. Right, in fact, your, your deep and, and lasting desire for those things, like no matter who you are, you still want those things, to, you, you want those, you need those. And that points to that you were created in God's image and for him. And Jesus offers, I wish I had time to go through all of them. You want, you want, you want length and quality of life? How about eternal life? How about no more pain, no more suffering, no more death? Right? You, want, you want meaning and satisfaction? Uh, how about, how about uh, knowing wh who you are and what you were made for? Or you want justice? How about the one who's gonna come and make everything right, the one who knows everything, the one who, nothing gets by, a perfect judge. Or you want peace? There's a prince of peace. Like we could just go through, he offers all of these things in a better way than any of us could, could achieve. Any, any human system, any religion, any government could achieve any of these things. Jesus promises us these things in him. And I think it's important to say in the Bible Belt, one thing this means is that Christianity is not just an add-on to your life. Right, you can't just come to church like a supermarket and just take the things you want. Like, yeah, I like this program. This is, I like these kids' things. This is a good morality for my family. And, but then other things that you don't like about you, no, I, don't, I won't take that stuff from, from, from Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus is not a, a take it or leave it optional add-on to your life. That, that's human autonomy. Saying, I'm gonna live my life. If Jesus enhances that, great. If not, I can leave it. No, no, no. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. He's the creator of heavens and earth. Like, in him we live and move and have our being. 
The only response is to go, I repent. Every, my whole life has been sin. My whole life has been rebellion. I've only gone my own way. And I, I need you. Would you forgive me? He's the Lord. And, and the good news is that he loves you. He proved it by coming. He proved it by, by dying for your sins. Has anyone else died for you because they love you so much? By rising. And, and even by you being here today and hearing this invitation, won't you come to Jesus? There's three responses in this text as we close. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. Right, people, ancient people weren't uh, you know, more stupid than we are. They know people don't rise from the dead. And so they hear the resurrection, they're like, that can't happen. Come on, Paul. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you, you just you mock at these things. You ridicule these things. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it before. And, and listen, I don't begrudge you being here. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and it doesn't surprise me that you think that. Like that. That's been happening since the beginning. Since the very first time these, this message was preached, uh, it's been receiving mo- it's received mockery. And that's fine. But others said, verse 32, we'd like to hear from you again about this. And maybe you're here today and, and you're curious. You think, man, I've, I've never really thought through the implications of Christianity. I've never really thought through what it would mean if this was true. I'd like to have meaning in my life. <laughs> I'd like to have a, a gratefulness that's that deeply ingrained. And, and I would encourage you, come back. And come, come, better, come, come find me after the sermon. Come find, come, come to pray with one of the people, uh, one of the prayer team members, one of the pastors. We would love to connect you with someone in our church who would just read the Bible with you. Right? That's, I, that's the best thing to do. If you're curious, man, you need to hear it for yourself. Read the Bible. Right? And, and we'd love to, to do that with you, help you understand it. Verse 34, however, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. And maybe you hear this today uh, and, and, and you think, I'm in. <laughs> I know that that's true. I know that that's true and it weighs on me how I've not been grateful my whole life. I know that I'm accountable to him. And I know that he came and he loves me. He died for me. He rose from the dead. He's the Lord of all. I believe it. I'm in. If that's you, come talk to us. It says they joined with them and believed. And we want you to join with us as a church. And we want to walk with you and help you to follow Jesus day in and day out. That's what we do. I don't think you can hear this message and not respond in some way, right? Because the resurrection of Jesus is the, is the most relevant fact in the 21st century. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace, for breath in our lungs, for electrical impulses in our brain, that makes us be able to think for legs to stand up on. Lord, thank you for this moment, not only just for caring for our uh, physical bodies, but for for caring for, for our souls, for us as whole people. 
Lord, where we are blind to you and your grace, would you open our hearts? Would you, by your, by your grace and for your glory, would you pour out your spirit into our hearts? Would you pour out your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit? Lord, where we, where we just won't let go, where we are, it, it is autonomy. It's, it's we just want our own way. We know it's not right, but we can't let go. Lord, that's so difficult. We can't change our own hearts. So would you do it? Thank you for hope. Thank you that you're alive, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.